Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One thing about when you're managing multi-location uh, operations, whether you're in restaurants or they're medical, banking, legal, you know, chiropractic, gyms, it doesn't matter, um, is that very often when you're delivering services at the location level, um, that there isn't just one lever you can pull to increase sales, right? Uh, to make customers happier, to uh, increase profitability. Oftentimes, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers that all have to be pulled. Not, none of them are going to sink you, but if enough of those levers aren't pulled correctly, your customers will have a bad experience with your business, your customer satisfaction will be down, and your sales and profits will follow. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you manage pulling all 30,000 little levers right in the right order. And, uh, and then at the same time, we're providing you with data, amazing visibility into uh, what levers aren't getting pulled, where you have issues, so you can figure out what the heck's going on and fix them. And then you move on. And then every time you correct an issue, you make your employees happier, you make it your, their jobs easier, you make your customers happier, and your sales and profits will follow. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. What's up, Order Up Show? It is Tommy, your host today. I am super excited to be back, and I want to welcome my guest today, Patrick Hilton with Penguin Point Restaurants. Welcome, Patrick. How are you doing today, sir? Doing well. How about you? Oh man, I'm living the dream. Every day gets better and better. So, um, Patrick and I were just chatting here before the the show, and uh, we're gonna get started right off the bat. So, Patrick, just so you know, we always ask everybody the same five questions every episode, and we're gonna get started with question number one here, which is explain what you do today, and then take us through your career progression, sort of from your first job in the industry to uh, where you are now. Certainly. So um, I'm currently the uh, CEO for Penguin Point Restaurant Group. Uh, we have 17 uh, company-owned restaurants in northern Indiana, and we are a quick-service restaurant uh, with everything from fried chicken to um, great-tasting burgers. Uh, started my career um, in high school, started working at McDonald's. Uh, did that for about 10 years, kind of progressed from uh, working in the back and on my way up into a general manager role. I had done that for about a decade and moved on to Burger King, where I got my first taste as a multi-unit manager. Um, so I did that with Burger King for about 12 years, um, both in uh, Illinois and also in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Hmm. Uh, after doing that for 12 years, I got the opportunity to kind of join the corporate side of the restaurant industry. I'd worked for the first 22 years between McDonald's and Burger King uh, for franchisees. And this uh, opportunity with Quiznos gave me the chance to get on the corporate side. So uh, I was brought on as a franchise business consultant and um Start, the career progression happened rather quickly. Uh, after about 14 months, I became a director of operations. Um, a year and a half after that, I became the vice president of U.S. operations. And um, when Regal Restaurants purchased Quiznos um, in 2018, 
I believe I'm getting my years correct. Um, I was elevated to the executive vice president of all of operations for North America. Um, so at that point, I was responsible for uh, Quiznos franchise system, the Taco Del Mar franchise system, uh, some company-owned and operated restaurants um, out at the Denver International Airport, as well as uh, eight uh, Dairy Queen restaurants that we owned as a franchisee. Um, and now, uh, for the last uh, eight months, I've been the uh, CEO here at Penguin Point. Okay, so FYI, I'm a Quiznos guy. I was there in 2008, 2009. And I almost think, were you there in 2008, 2009 or no? No, I would have started in 2012. Okay, so your, uh, yeah, your name, I was like, I know. I, I, we might have caught on you just from our day job. That's hilarious. We got to talk about Quiznos. Okay, but my first question is, um, what's better, Burger King or McDonald's? <laughs> See, that's a great question. It all depends if you like the flame broil or if you like it off the grill. Um, I personally uh, rather uh, have a flame broiled uh, burger than um, off of a flat top grill. Okay, I'm the opposite. But that's a, but you know what? Um, okay, we'll so, have to wait. have that fight later, man. I know. <laughs> I, and here's my thing. I know it's crazy. I love McDonald's chicken nuggets. I mean, I, they're not like the same quality as like a Chick-fil-A chicken nugget, but like from a taste perspective, the crunch is so perfect. The other question, the other thing is, I don't think nobody, I don't, there's no restaurant that has matched a McMuffin. I'm sorry. It's the greatest breakfast sandwich ever. Like, you know, and the guests tell us, tell you that, right. I mean, it's there, yeah. uh, during my time at Burger King, we, uh, rolled out an all new breakfast. I was part of the test uh, group that put that menu um, into test and it was a much uh, better product than what Burger King previously had spent tens of millions of dollars in advertising and still couldn't make a dent in what uh, McDonald's does for breakfast. It's, it, it's kind of that staple inside of everybody's head. If you think of quick service breakfast, you think egg with muffin. Yeah. Well, and like even Wendy's, I mean, and Wendy's is going big. And you know, Jack in the Box had a pretty good breakfast too. Because I, I, I love fast food. Like, it, not that I eat it all the time, but like I, when they come up with something really interesting, like you know, I want to go try it because I'm just like, I got, I got to see what this is all about, right? Because I know there's a lot of smart guys out there that are really monkeying around trying to figure stuff out. Like Wendy's has this new Baconator sandwich with tons of bacon, two eggs, but then they put some sort of mayonnaise or something on there, and it's like. I don't need extra fat in my breakfast sandwich. You know what I mean? And <laughs> part of this whole thing too, in my opinion, is also the hash browns. You can't beat the McDonald's hash brown. So everyone's trying these other tater tots or seasoned potatoes or all this other garbage. And you're just like, nah, sorry. The hash brown's perfect. Um, okay. So we've gotten through that hard hitting subject. Let's talk Quiznos. So tell me about your time at Quiznos because you got there in 2012. So I had been gone for three years at that point. How many, what was the restaurant count when you got there? Ooh, I want to say it was uh, somewhere just south of 3000, if I remember correctly. Sure. So I got there, we were probably 
5,000 to 4,900 to 5,100, I would say. So I got there in 2008 and I worked for uh, Brian Ferris and then also Kevin Durth. They were the guys that were kind of running um, who I, I worked for for the 18 months I was there. Charlie Cerny, a lot of these guys. I mean, you know, obviously Quiznos ran through a lot of people over the years. So um, you can't really spit without hitting somebody who's an ex-Quiznos guy. Um, but uh, yeah, and then did you got, and so then you were there 3,000. I mean, now, I don't even know what they're at right now. Um, I need to ask Greg Boudreaux where they're kind of at. I, remember, I had Quiznos for lunch yesterday because one of the original Quiznos on Broadway here in South Denver is still open. And I had Quiznos delivered yesterday and it was delicious. That That's such you, a heartbreaker. <laughs> the product is a great product. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, a, you mentioned Greg Boudreaux. That's, uh, that's my guy. I, I, I worked with him for, for quite some time. He's good yeah. people. He is. He lives down by me in Highlands Ranch. And one day I was riding my bike on the bike path and I rode right by him. I was like, Greg! But uh, yeah, he's a good guy. And I mean, that guy's been there forever. His dad owned Quiznos. His dad owned some of the original, um, I don't know if he still does, but he owned Smashburgers down on Broadway as well. So, yeah. It, what do you think happened to Quiznos? I'm just curious uh, about your uh, theory. Sure. I think, you know, I think Quiznos uh, is kind of the what happens if you have a really strong growth plan and no uh, plan to operate them, no plan to um, make sure that they are operating efficiently and profitably. Um, when uh, they were going through their growth phase, uh, they, they exploded onto the scene, right? So they were, they were going up everywhere. And then I think, uh, what, what I found when I, when I was brought on in 2012, they started to realize that, Hey, we aren't really good operators. We don't do a good job making sure that the uh, brand standards are being executed at the restaurant level. Um, you know, there were some, um, uh, conflict between the franchisee and the franchisor and, and kind of the, mm -hmm. the idea was to revitalize the brand by bringing in some, some new folks. And, you know, the ride's been rough and bumpy. Uh, I'll tell you the, the group that owns them now, uh, Regal restaurant yeah. group. Um, if anybody could get it, uh, turned around, it's those guys. They've got a great leadership team, uh, the uh, capital uh, company is uh, run by some very sharp and smart people. Um, so, so they, they'll get it right. Um, I, I, I really believe that they'll get it right. Um, they've got just a really good brain trust there and uh, a nice mix of some legacy players like a Greg Boudreau um, yep. and also some uh, industry veterans that uh, will get it done right. So, uh, that's that's kind of what I believe happened. They they just didn't have the ability to operate the restaurants after they exploded in growth, and you know that doesn't uh, bode well for the future. Well, and okay, so for those I should go back. Even though if you listen to this podcast, I've talked about Quiznos quite a few times because that was my that was my big corporate restaurant experience. Prior to that, I'd always been at a manager level at the individual locations, you know, or a waiter or whatever, depending on what time of my life I was, um, or a cook. But so with Quiznos, 
So there's a couple. So Quiznos like started uh, was a local sub shop here in Colorado. Then um, Rick Shadden, who also started Smashburger and, and I think owns Tom's Diner, or Tom's Urban or whatever. And a couple other things. He was an operator and his dad was a big lawyer. And then I think his dad financed him to buy a couple stores. And back in the day, they had toasty subs and no one else was doing that. And they grew, grew, grew. Then under Rick and his dad, but really Rick, they went crazy, growth, growth, growth. And they got up. And so they're probably early, that was all in the early 90s, I think 80s, 90s, whatever. But then really in the 2000s, they went on a march. So probably like 2002, 2003, uh, through like 2008, 2009, they were adding like a thousand stores a year. They were the hottest wow. franchise in the country. I mean, I think when I looked at like back in like 20, 2008, 2009, they were like the number 12th largest restaurant chain in the country, you know, like crazy growth, like a thousand units a year. And then, Absolutely. then the downturn hit. And that's when I got there. I got like, uh, I got there right at the beginning of 2008 and I worked in the franchise assistance program. So imagine that job, franchise assistance at Quiznos in 2008 during the downturn. It, it was a great, great horrifying job. But it was actually my second MBA is what I tell people because I learned so much about like how, what you do when your business is struggling. And I'm talking about the franchisees, you know, and I, I just, I learned so much from, uh, their experience, I should say. But then they crested 5,000. They might even gotten to like 5,200. I'm not sure how big they got. And at that point, Rick had sold his share of the company or half the company to a private equity group. And they brought in a guy um, who, had, who he had been a big CEO of somebody, you know, and they, they brought in the private equity guys that brought in some real heavy hitters. Um, but, you know, I think, what had happened was is that they were growing so fast they were able to hide some of their operational issues because all people saw was just this this line that was going straight up and then they started to have a lot of issues and then they started to, to shed restaurants so like just in the four year three years between my me and you right so when i left we were still in the 4,500 range-ish, you know, I left in mid-2009, maybe like late 2009. Um, and so when you got there in 2012, they were already down another 1,500 or so restaurants at that point. Now, there are a couple of things that screwed Quiznos. We should all point that out too. Number one, Coke, Cola screwed them. Number two, just crazy inflated real estate screwed them as well. Uh because did you hear the story about, and I, this is just a story I heard, I, you know, and we'd have to confirm it with Greg, but Greg was definitely there. So Coke was our soda beverage supplier at the time and back in the 2000s sometime, right? And then they wanted Subway. So, cause Subway was growing faster than Quiznos. So Coke went to Subway and said, hey, we'll buy you toasters if you kick Pepsi out and put Coke in every Subway. So in that fail swoop, they took away Quizno's differentiating factor and, and took it to Subway. And they helped subsidize those toasters with the switch out. Isn't that insane? Yeah, you know, that's the that's the game that uh, those uh those big <laughs> beverage uh players uh play, right? And you know, but but I'll contend uh that yeah. 
even the the uh i call it microwaved toaster uh version yeah. that subway has does not compare to the uh the toasted sub that you'll get out of a quiznos but yeah. because uh at that point like i i mentioned earlier the execution at the restaurant level was not great um there was a lot to be desired uh brand yeah. standards not being followed so the the sub you should be getting at a Quiznos you weren't getting, and yep. that I think is what really led to people saying, well, if it's not a really great toasted sub at Quiznos, I may as well go to Subway because I'll get a really not that great toasted sub there either. And Absolutely. then the differentiator became uh, advertising and uh, price point because yep. uh, Subway was you know five dollars foot cheaper. long and all that yeah and we had torpedoes but they you know a torpedo was cheaper than a five dollar foot long but then at the same time they you know it was a smaller sandwich well i'll say one other thing too that kind of screwed quiznos franchisees was that their growth all happened when the real estate market was the, the real estate bubble was happening so people were paying insanity rents right all the way up through 2008 when the collapse happened but that's when all their growth happened. And so, you know, you're going into these strip centers and you're paying four or $5,000 for an 1100 square foot footprint. And like that, you know, you know, that was insane. And I believe that Subway was like, they would sign the lease and then they would lease it to their franchisee. And so they would be able to get cheaper rent rates in comparison to what a Quiznos franchisee was getting because they were doing that guarantee. So that if the Subway went out of business, uh, Subway corporate, I believe, would still front some cash, you know, uh, during that period while they were trying to resell the license to somebody, um, you know. And so that also, you know, hurt Quiznos franchisees and made it hard, you know, it put pressure on them to, uh, you know, that they had to sell more and, you know, they couldn't they couldn't do it. And so that that led to a lot of turnover. Uh, in the franchisees. And I think you could make a case too that uh, at some point Quiznos best interests were more about Quiznos and not the franchisees being successful. And there were a lot of things that they did as a corporation that, you know, uh, put a lot of stress on the franchisees as well. And I don't want to spend the whole thing talking about Quiznos, but every time I meet a Quiznos person, I'm always curious what they thought. And you, and you are correct though. Our biggest problem in, in 2008, 2009 when we moved into ops was execution to the point of when we relaunched torpedoes in the like uh, spring summer of 2009 we literally sent ev we sent about half of corporate because we were very small at that time i would say five or ten fifteen people in addition to the field teams which we still had a pretty ample field organization at that point probably a hundred people uh, of fbcs and vps we visited every single Quiznos in the country in like a two week period um, prior to the launch of Torpedoes, which I mean, that's like 5,000 stores, right? Or 4,500 stores. So imagine 100 people visiting 4,500 stores in 14 days, including the crazy store that's out in the middle of North Dakota, you know, 12 hours from the other store. And you got just got to drive, you know? It didn't matter. It was insanity. Just making sure people were ready to launch torpedoes. It was it was quite the effort. 
Uh, yeah, and that and that's uh, th- that doesn't bode well for uh, your trust in the execution because that's not exactly. a scalable model in any other yeah. uh, <laughs> scenario. Well, and, and by the way, I don't know we didn't even talk about, but so I have uh, I own a company called Ops Analytica, and we are an operations management platform. So we help multi-unit operators, you know, control operations and you know everything from food safety checklists to operations readiness to just being a a platform that you can use to communicate with the teams and identify issues and fix them and all that kind of stuff, right? It was invented at Quiznos because I, because we, at the time we had, you might've even used it. It used to be on like a Palm phone. It was just like a web form that was on a Palm phone. You could use on a, on a very early level phone. And I think they actually used it for a couple of years after I left, but it was an audit because they were doing paper audits and then they like they laid everyone off. Then they came to me and they're like, you and your secretary or your assistant, you need to data enter like 4,500 audits a month into an Excel so we can report off of them. And I was like, "There's you just fired everybody. Like, there's no way I can do that. So I literally got this thing called Form Router and I built like a gigantic audit form that you could then download from a SQL database into an Excel. But that was like the first time they'd ever had real-time reporting on the restaurants. Like I could literally just pull the data down every hour or two and then put it into this Excel and then pivot it out. You know what I mean? It was crazy. Absolutely. But that was the birthplace of my company today. Uh, Ops Analytica was building out that auditor uh, for them. So, you know, yeah, it all comes full circle. So I don't want to monopolize the, the conversation around this. We can move on. So you, you're now the CEO of Penguin Point, which is a, I think it was a 20, 20 to 30 unit chain in Indiana. 17, 17 right 17. now with uh, pretty aggressive growth play. And then are you guys all corporate owned or are you franchising? What's the deal with that place? Uh, we're we're 100% company owned right now. Uh, we, it, it, my roadmap kind of brings us to uh, the ability to get an FDD uh, by the end of this year, sometime in quarter four. Oh, cool. So then you'll look to like build out markets, you know, uh, you're gonna, are you looking at like sort of market partners that'll go five or 10 units or are you looking at sort of uh, you thinking you're gonna do like a single unit operator franchisee model? Yeah, I think the, the, the most successful franchise models are multi-units uh, it, because yeah. it allows the franchisee to diversify um, and not have all their, you know, eggs in one basket, road yeah. construction happens, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your restaurant company's uh, upside down. So uh, we would yeah. certainly uh, want to do uh, multi-unit market type partners. Yeah. Yep. That's so funny because you were you were talking and I was thinking about a guy in Utah who they ripped up the road all around his strip center and nobody could get in, you know? And it was like one of those situations where you're like, uh, dude, like, yeah, like, that's it. Like that, that stuff happens all the time where nobody can turn left anymore. And that entire strip center for the time that they are ripping up the water pipe or ripping up that road, their sales plummet. And when you're a single unit operator, that can be, if you're tight on cash flow, that could literally end your business. Um, you know, and, and and so you have to have several units to really protect yourself against those kinds of weirdo things that happen to people. You know what I mean? It's so you're true. exactly right. Okay, so well, let's go to the question number two. What is the big project slash initiative that you're working on right now? 
so for us in 2021, uh, uh, our entire restaurant team is focused on three things, and, and it uh, involves improving the guest experience, improving the profitability of the restaurants, and then opening new restaurants. So those are kind of the three uh, pillars or priorities, how whatever nomenclature you want to use that we are uh, focusing on in 2021. And everything that we do, uh, anything that we are talking about, we kind of go back to making sure, okay, hey, we're having this great conversation. Does it fit inside of any of these three priorities? If the answer is yes, okay, let's, let's put some resources behind it. If the answer is no, then we've got to think, hey, are we outside of our priorities? Does this still have to happen? But we kind of use the, those three priorities to filter out any noise that might come up. Because obviously you being in the yeah. uh, uh, restaurant business, you understand how just noise can come and disrupt uh, the operations. It can disrupt the company. And you really got to have some kind of uh, guardrails to say, this is what we're focusing on. And we've got to make sure we stay disciplined in that. You know, it, it, it's so funny that you say that because A, I, I started working on that last week for us from development priorities, right? Like what are our development cornerstones on our platform? And so that when, cause you know, new clients will go, Hey, it'd be really cool if it did this. And then, you know, it's the same thing. You go, Oh, hell yeah. It would be really cool. If we did that. And then all of a sudden you're like going down this path and you're spending all these time and resources. And then you have to ask yourself, does that, do, does that feature or enhancement in my world, does it, does it do the, the four or five things that I, does it meet my four or five criteria for where the platform's going and what I need the platform to be able to do? And, and I see that myself because I have crazy ADD. As a matter of fact, while you were talking, I was looking for my Vyvanse. But uh, like they, uh, one of the things too is I can actually in my own life. Like I go to my email program because I needed to go get a document because I'm working on something for somebody. And then next thing you know, I'm answering somebody else's email, right? And I'm not doing what I actually went in there to do. And that happened. I mean, that's the world we live in now. It's a world of data and distraction. You know what I mean? And, and it's so easy to get pulled off. And because all the, because you have, and you know what, a lot of it too is sales guys. It's sales guys, it's the industry press. You know, hey, did you read that article? Are we doing enough about that? And all of a sudden, you know, you've moved the focus and focus, you know, you, you, you like talk to, you like read Tim Ferriss or whatever, but focus is like the most important thing for being successful is being able to just check things off a list and stay focused and keep moving the ball in the right direction. So I, I give you guys uh, a lot of props for being that laser focused on those three main priorities. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, so talk to me about these pork tenderloins. Is that like a pork chop? Yeah, so it's, uh, it, it, it's, it is what it says, right? So it's a, it's a, a pork tenderloin. Uh, it's a deep fried product uh, that, um, is our by far our uh best seller it's what we're known for uh here in northern indiana obviously if you're from the midwest or you've had any time in the midwest you know that the tenderloin sandwich is a it's, it's a it's a midwestern staple especially in rural rural parts and um 
you know, we do it. We do it uh, uh, better than most. And it's a product that uh, we focus on regularly. We actually have a, a spinoff of that, uh, an LTO that we're running uh, starting shortly, uh, a Southern style um, tenderloin. So like a, uh, we're like pretty a, excited like about that as well. Hot, sort of like a national yeah, hot tenderloin. Yeah, yeah, it's got a, it's got a, it's got a, a nice kick to it. It's, it, it's going to be a great product for us. Okay, so I feel like I spent some time in the Midwest. I've never heard of the pork tenderloin sandwich. I'm looking at it; it looks delicious. I would totally eat it. It reminds me of like uh, the Japanese do a, a lot with the pork tenderloin, the kamatsu. Oh, it looks awesome. I bet you it's got good food costs too. Is it a good food cost item? It is. It is a good food cost item. And you know what? One of the things when I did mention the Midwest, I, you, you got to really be in the rural part of the Midwest. It's not a Chicago sure. thing by any gotcha. means. Uh, but you get into Southern Illinois, you get into, you know, some of these uh, rural parts of Indiana and uh, just about everybody's uh, selling it. Even uh, some of the other, uh, I think it was Dairy Queen, uh, Grill and Chill out in their rural areas have a version of a tenderloin as well. But you're not going to see yeah, that in most places. Yeah, it looks delicious. Yep. Okay, I got it. That's awesome. Um, eh, moving on. What is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night? You know, I think it's the, everybody's kind of fighting the same battle now, and it's staffing, right? It's yeah. Uh, I've I've not experienced. We've all experienced tough staffing moments. It usually happens. Yeah when unemployment is uh, at record lows, right? Um, But with uh, unemployment where it is now, and uh, this is is as bad as I've seen it um, in the restaurant industry. It's just really hard to find uh, employees. Uh, You've got to, we're trying to do uh, different tactics uh, to to draw them in. Uh, It's real important to be that employer of, choice uh and give them reasons to work outside of the hourly wage because everybody is paying about the same right there's no differentiator other than you have to try to find a way to be that employer of choice yeah it's funny because i was talking to a guy from houston he's opening up like he's a consultant but he's he's working with a a family that's opening up like a 30,000 square foot, uh, you know, entertainment complex with bowling and games and all that stuff. And he's like, I can't find anyone to work. And um, part of the issue was, right, we had the shutdowns. Well, the shutdowns didn't affect everybody, but they affected the restaurants really badly. You know what I mean? And so yep. a lot of people were like, well, I can go get this factory job and I can, or I can go work over here and be, a, you know, whatever it is, other job or um, they can also be, uh, you know, an Uber driver or a Lyft driver, and, and that might not be as popular in, in, in maybe the rural areas, but, you know, the DoorDash driver, whatever, uh, TaskRabbit. So I think it pushed a lot of people that, you know, would have probably considered the restaurant space uh, out of, or they lost their job in the restaurant space because people were downsizing because business was bad, and they went and found something new, and, you know, I mean, as fun as the restaurant industry is, there's some down parts to it as well. You're on your feet all day, potentially get greasy or, you know, whatever. I think it push a lot of people out potentially. Yeah. I think all those points are, are, are correct and valid. Right. I think the, the hardest part 
for this industry was the initial uh, shutdown and, and all yeah. the jobs lost and um, getting people to come back in and uh, in, in this environment you're where you're interacting with people, you know, customers and, you know, even though we, we all practice the, the, the right things with the social distancing, anybody in the yeah. restaurant industry knows that, you know, we're, we're the cleanest, safest people pre COVID. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, we're taught about food safety and, and the importance of hand washing and all. So all of those practices have been in the restaurant industry forever. Uh, you add on the layer of, um, uh, PPE and, and social distancing, yeah. and it's a safe place to be, but it, you're still interacting with the public and, and not everybody yeah. is in a, in, is ready to do that right now. And I think that kind of adds to it. And any, any check you have against you as an employer, um, yeah. real or perceived, it, the industry is just struggling for that reason. Sure. You know, I was talking to the, the same guy, too, and I'm going to keep mentioning it on the podcast, people, so I'll be a little bit of a broken record. I, I do think we need to rethink how we utilize people in the restaurant industry. And I feel like what we, and I, I'm going to name it now. I just came up with this name. Kind of like with the airports, it's the hub and spoke system. It's, it, it's going to be. Uh, I'm going to call it the anchoring gig system, right? For employees, meaning that, you know, the, typically the restaurant industry has been, uh, you know, you got a bunch of people uh, coming, you, you got, you're trying to kind of get a bunch of people that have full time, or even they may work 20 to 40 hours a week, you know, running shifts. And you always have a couple people who are your anchors who, you know, because for whatever reason, this job works for them and they love it and they will be your full time employee and they'll get bennies and all that stuff. But you know, if we think about the restaurant industry, and it just depends on the volume of how your restaurants are, but you know, you're, you're a lunch dinner, let's say you're a lunch dinner restaurant, which I think you guys are, but like what you need is two hub employees, like two or three, like full-time employees that you pay benefits. They have a career plan. They get, you know, you pay them really well. You give them vacations and, you know, it's like a full-time real job for them. It's not a restaurant job at like, in that connotation, this is like a career job. You're my career opener. You're my career cook, whatever it is. And I'm dying to see if somebody can make it work where they go out and find a bunch of Uber drivers or gig employees. And like, they don't have to do side work. They don't have to do anything. They got to show up and be bodies in the breach for the three hours from 11 to like one thirty-two, And then they book it, you know, they like, like you train them, they roll in, they don't do any side work. They're not there four hours. They don't have to work a minimum of four hours. You, you literally use them as gig employees and you say, hey, look, go drive Uber and just be here by 11.30 and then be here for the rush. And then as soon as the rush is over, I'll cut you and you walk out the door. You know what I mean? That type of system where you have your anchor employees that do all the side work. They know everything. They're there every day. You know, they get vacation. And then you just sort of backfill just bodies. You're on fries. Just get fries out because we're busy right now. You know what I mean? So we just need fries out. And then as soon as it slows down, we let them get back in their car and go. And uh, and then the those core employees just fill it in. I'm dying to see if that could work. I think it could work, but I don't know. It's as good idea as I've heard, right? Uh, it, it, you know, back in the, um, gosh, when I, when 
employing at the restaurants wasn't nearly as hard as it is now. I can remember in the nineties, you, you had a version of that where you went and found the, the folks that were willing to work 11 to two, right. Yeah. For your peak uh, lunch. Right. And they, and they did it for, for whatever their life reasons were. Right. They were yeah. uh, the moms that uh, put the children on the bus and uh, yeah. went into work for a few hours. It was the, retired um uh folks that didn't need any really didn't need the money but didn't want to sit around home all day and they'd come sure. in and work 11 to 2 and you know some of them even 11 30 to 1 30 they just wanted to 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 do a really short burst and not do all the work that you just explained right they, they just wanted to yeah. come in and take orders or scoop fries or work the grill and go home and not have any yeah. other responsibility beyond that. So uh, that's got to come back. And, and, you know, this is a, you know, that's a, as good idea as I've heard uh, having some type of a gig, uh, you know, working with those gig folks um, for those small shifts, those short shifts. Yeah. Because like, I just remember, like I went, when I moved to LA um, I was a stand-up comic for a lot of years, so I bounced around. That's why I was in Chicago. I went to L.A., all these places. When I moved to L.A., I got a job. I was waiting tables because I wanted to do comedy at night. Uh, and I was doing a lot of lunches at the Santa Monica P.F. Chang's. And I remember, like, you would go in. And also, California was screwed it up, too, because of their stupid labor laws. But, like, uh, you would go in. I'd pay for parking, like, eight bucks in Santa Monica to park. I'd be there. You know, I'd get there at 10. I'd have to do all this opening side work. They'd open at 11. And they would cut me by one unless I was closing because in California, I had to pay like eight bucks minimum wage at the time. This is 2002, right? It's probably 12 or 15 bucks an hour now. But And then they had to give you breaks and all this garbage like that. It was horrible, um, which I, I can explain in a second why it was horrible. But, you know, I would go in and then I'd pay for parking. I, they would cut me as quickly as possible. I would spend half my time of my, let's say, three hours there doing side work. I believe there were 25 bucks. You know, after paying for parking, like you can't, that's not a sustainable life. And side work, especially in like, if you're a waiter, I know you're a QSR, you're paying a person a full wage every hour that they're there. But in that respect, it was just like, I had to quit that job. I was like, this is dumb. You know what I mean? Like, I can't make a living doing this. I, I wouldn't be able to make my rent if I stayed doing this. And so I just feel like we just have to rethink it a little bit. Like we don't have to divvy up all the side work. We have a professional person who does it really well every day. And they get paid a good wage to do it. And these other guys just pop in, do their thing and bolt. Because that's what people want now. They want this gig economy. And also, I think for some of these gig drivers, having knowing that you're guaranteed every day, you know, three hours at 15 bucks an hour, 12 bucks an hour, you know, that that's actually kind of nice too. And, and it mixes up your day. You're not just in your car all day you know, zipping around town, you could at least, you know, you're interacting with a couple of people for a couple hours and then you're back in your car. So you have a little bit of flexibility, right? But you have a place you need to be. Because some people need a place. They can't get they can't get their life going if they don't have somewhere to be, you know? So agree. Uh yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I'm dying for someone to try it because I because I think it could work. And that, you know, there's probably some software that could be built that would facilitate it, but I don't have time. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> oh, that's well, the next off the Linux platform, yeah. right? <laughs> well, yeah, my my buddy's already got it built. I just need to integrate it, but it's like it's too much. 
I'm, we're so yeah, we are so busy right now, man. I think I, post COVID, you know, um, we really didn't lose a lot of revenue during COVID, which I attribute to the fact that people who would utilize a platform like ours are, I, I like to believe, are you know forward thinking and you know well capitalized, whatever that they really want to do a great job, and so that's why they chose to invest in our system and probably. I would suggest that maybe other systems as well, like having good delivery and all those other things in place because they are sort of a tech systems driven business. And so now it seems like a lot of people are like really, I think COVID gave people time to think about what are we doing here? And also I think it exposed holes in their current technology, right? That they are looking to fill now because they have a little breathing room to think about it. And also they saw what really served them from a transitional perspective. So yeah, we've been crazy over here, I guess is my point. Um, what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it isn't? You know, that, that that's, a, that's an interesting question because I think that uh, a lot of the things that I believed uh, they, they would be doing pre-COVID, uh, I think COVID kind of forced everybody down that road. And, yeah. and uh, I, I think... That, that's kind of all been answered, right? Uh, your third party started to get you into that space. Uh, yeah. Obviously, if you thought about delivered food just, you know, three years ago, you thought of yeah. pizza and anything else you could get from a pizza place, right? Well, yeah. if, they, if they sold pasta, they were delivering it. If they sold their version of a, a sandwich, they were serving it. They were delivering it, right? Well, now everything's yeah. delivered. And, yeah. um, and I think... The, the next uh, iteration was, you know, how do you even become more convenient? drive through is convenient, but how do you get more sure. convenient than that? And I think the that's where curbside kind of really started to be forced kind of down the restaurant industry's uh, throats once COVID hit. Yeah. And uh, for us, um, you know, when I joined Penguin Point here in August, uh, we didn't have any of those uh, platforms. I'm, obviously, we have drive throughs so that was a saving grace for COVID, uh, because even during the lockdowns, that was you know that was never part of any of the lockdowns. Um, so that that was sustaining. But uh, we rolled out uh, delivery platforms um, within the last, uh, I think. Four months ago was when we we finally had it in all of our restaurants that it was available. Uh, we just rolled out curbside and uh, the ability to order online, either get it curbside, pick it up at the restaurant, um, or get it delivered. And, and that's new to us. Uh, so we were a little bit behind everyone else, but you know, we it, it's a, it's something you have to do now. Now it used sure. to be a, a, a nice to have, and COVID made it an absolute have to have. And uh, so we were able to, to kind of roll that into our system and we're pretty excited about it. Uh, we believe we'll see uh, uh, exponential growth uh, digitally uh, throughout the spring and into the summer. And we're pretty excited about it. Let me ask you this. Uh, for I'm going to ask this question uh, for Penguin Point, but then also I want to talk about McDonald's too, just from your past experience. But is this going to change the footprint and design of your restaurants? Are you going to have dining rooms in the future? It, it absolutely will change. You know, so what we're looking at the, um, you know, we're building, we have a pretty aggressive growth plan. We have a new restaurant 
that uh, we, we're just closing on the property in South Bend, Indiana, and you know we're we're probably going to have that restaurant opening in in the second quarter. And um, the dining room is is not going to be your you know old nineteen eighties and nineties McDonald dining room that seats seventy plus people, right? Sure. You're it's going to be efficient. It's going to be it's going to have a designated spot to pick up uh, for the, for all the yes. digital orders, right? So your Uber driver, your DoorDash driver, they know exactly where to go. Um, cause that's the other part of this, yeah. um, this, this, this gig economy is that, that you have two customers every time, uh, one of those third parties get delivered or get uh, ordered. Yeah. You've got the end customer and then you've got the driver. The last thing yep. the driver wants or needs is to wait. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to be efficient in, Hey, the driver knows exactly where to go. The order's going to be there. It's going to be ready. They walk in, they grab it, they get back in their car because every moment that they're not driving to a destination, they're losing money. So uh, that's that's the way our restaurants are going to be built moving forward. And we'll be retrofitting uh, our existing restaurants similarly. Are you going to have dedicated DoorDash parking spots or delivery driver parking spots that right there by the door where they can just pull up and be right there? Absolutely. Along as well as curbside uh, designations as well. That's great. Okay. So what do we think? Does this affect the play place? I'm just, you know, which I think so much money, you know, to McDonald's. I I think it, I think it, I think COVID uh, probably uh, exposed the play places as, um, (laughs) The German fest of death traps yeah. that they are. Yeah. <laughs> you said it right. You know, it's, those were always hard to keep clean. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Those nobody oh. wanted that job uh, uh, oh. at the end of the shift or or at any point during the shift. And the worst thing that you could hear is um, you, you, there's something going on in that play place. You know, that usually oh. means. Uh, yeah. To your poo. So, Someone had a leaker. <laughs> so there's those. Those have never been a a uh, a fan. I've never been a fan of those. I, I never thought sure. they drew the traffic that were uh, warranted the work that goes into them. Well, not my kids are now ten and eight, but I mean, it was only a couple of years ago where, like, you know, every time you drew, I mean. Kids love McDonald's nuggets and they like Happy Meals. But, you know, for a long time there, when my kids were a little bit younger, every time we drove by a McDonald's, they're like, can we go to McDonald's? And then and when I, my daughter was like three or four, I like lost her in that damn play place. I couldn't get her out. She's like up there, like, hi, not to climb up in the play place to go get her. You know, she's in some like little rocket ship at the front, like screaming, you know, and then kids are just notoriously just, disgusting creatures anyway so like yeah the, uh, I, i'm curious because also and i you might even have seen it on like uh, going to your other former employer burger king like the burger king restaurant in the future is almost like a it's almost like a sonic but like they have multiple drive-throughs running somehow and like you know they have six people like you know it, you know they really just are like now we're all about to go which yeah uh, and getting it out the door so yeah, that's interesting. 
Yeah, it, it's cool. Are you guys using a consolidator app for all the different, uh, I think Ola is going through the roof right now because they consolidate all the delivery services into one platform. Are you using anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. We actually uh, are using Novadine. Um, okay. Which, uh, yeah, absolutely. They, uh, I, I had exposure with them at, uh, at Quiznos and uh, when I got this uh, role, I reached out to them and, and they did a really good job, not only allowing us to have our own um, online ordering uh, platform, but also they are the integrator for the third parties and having it all go directly into the POS instead of the tablet farms that you see in yeah. uh, a lot of restaurants, right? And and that's where you've got, uh, you know, that's that's chaotic operationally to have that tablet farm and trying to figure out which one's dinging and, uh, you know, how, to get it to shut up and, and to get you know, it, it's, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, noise that you can eliminate when you do use an integrator and Novadine does a very good job for us. Were they the original delivery platform at Quiznos? I they, they were, they were. So when I first started at Quiznos, I was in franchise assistance program. And so I had to make, so my thing that I was allowed to do was give people delivery. Now, it, that was like giving like a, a, a monkey a computer and being like, hey, go be successful with this because it was too complicated for the operators that were going out of business financially, right? Like you can't go, hey, you, you don't have money to make rent, but you need to invest in a delivery driver and all that labor in a car and do a bunch of local store marketing. You know what I mean? Like it just, you, they couldn't, and that wasn't a great analogy, but like it was totally horrible. Like the, no one was successful with it. And they had to jump through a ton of hoops to get it. And they couldn't, they couldn't execute it because they were so under the gun at that point. You know what I mean? They just didn't have the focus and the yeah. bandwidth to like make it work. You're exactly right. And that's, uh, you know, that's a lot of what, uh, a, a lot, a lot of mistakes are made trying to chase what others do really well. And, and, you know, nobody does delivery for sandwiches better than Jimmy John's. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so, so now you, you try to fight in their space and yeah. you're not prepared to actually have that war yeah. the way it's needed to be had. You're not going to be successful. Right. It's just, no. it, 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 they'll outlast you and, and undercut you and do all the things that, that they need to do to eliminate your ability to, to compete. And, uh, that's just another example of, uh, you know, what uh, were the kind of the core root cause uh, problems at, at Quiznos, right? Nobody really yeah. working through the proper execution to, to get something off the ground. It was just kind of an idea and, hey, let's go do it. And it's just not that easy. No. And, and, and you actually touch on something that I really want to touch on because and this is one of my core beliefs. And, and it's one of the core beliefs that drives my business as an operations management platform, but it really is a core belief on how businesses run. The best run businesses, the one, the best run businesses, they are, uh, they can push you around the playing field. And it, and what it is, is they're the, they're the most efficient, they, which uh, they have the best systems in place, the best training, whatever it is. All of a sudden, they incrementally, because they're great operators, they incrementally start to get ahead of you 
You know, so all of a sudden they're making an extra five cents per order. And you don't want five cents, who cares, right? But five cents over a million orders a year, over 30 restaurants. All of a sudden there's all this extra cash coming in, right? We're getting more profitable. Now we're more profitable. We're spending a little bit more money on advertising. Now we're driving a little bit more sales. And it's always that like first mover thing. And then all of a sudden now we're getting the end cap. Oh, we're going to go get in the new Safeway parking lot not the one across the street where it's easier to turn and the highway coming off the highway. Like they start to incrementally, because they're so much better at operating their business, which is Jimmy John's, right? The most efficient delivery model possible. Like, and also discipline too. You mentioned discipline earlier. We lived in a Jimmy John. We have a Jimmy John's that we try to order, but we had a gated community. They wouldn't go in the gated community. Like it takes too long to get through your stupid gate. <laughs> And we can't get back to go to the next order. That kills our model. And we were literally across the street. They wouldn't deliver to us. But it was like, but you just, if you're incrementally better at the store level, because you run better operations, that will ultimately allow you to start pushing your competitors around the playing field. And like you said, I can undercut you. Oh, you're going to go do delivery now? Okay. Well, guess what? We're, you have all this new expense and costs because you have to put in a second line and you, you have to invest all this cash. I'm just going to undercut. I'm going to go two for one on everything and you'll, and you'll go out of business. You, you'll have to drop it in six months because I pushed you around the playing field because I'm better than you. And like, that's what we should be striving for. Would you agree or no? It, I, I think you're exactly right. Everything, you know, and I'm, I'm an operator at heart, right? So yeah. uh, everything starts there. Uh, you, you do that well. And then you can tell people you do it well and you can drive them in and then they're going to agree that you do it well. And then they're going to come back again and again, they're going to tell their friends. And then that starts the cycle that you just kind of explained. Right. And it all starts with, I just make a better burger than you, or I just make a better French fry than you, or I just make a better tenderloin sandwich than you, whatever that is. The moment I start doing it better than you, and I can tell people that I can do it better than anybody else. Now you've got a, a kind of bare model to replicate yep. and to, to truly drive home what differentiates you from everybody else. But it all yeah, starts and, there. And, yeah. And, and it, it's everything. It, it's, it's, it's the items, but it's the training. It's just keeping the restaurant clean. Like nobody gets how important it is. So just, I walk in, I don't see straw wrappers on the floor or that the bathroom's not disgusting, but it all, and it's, and the thing is, and this is what's so crazy about the restaurant industry, right? Is that, you know, and cause we used to try to sell on sales. Like we would be like, oh, we're going to help you increase your sales. Nobody in the restaurant industry bought it because they all realized there's so many factors that go into sales, right? And so yep. you can't just go, well, well you, you did a, an operating checklist and so now you had 10 more percent in sales. It doesn't work that way, but it's, it's, so that's what's so vexing is there isn't one lever to pull, right? Like there, there is a temporary lever to pull. I can BOGO the shit out of, of couponing. You know, that's a lever I can pull, um, you know, but that's not a sustainable lever because, you know, it, it's just simply not. But it is, it's the entire experience from the person who's going, I'm hungry. And then they're driving up on the restaurant to that transaction and then leaving. It's every aspect of that. And it's 3000 small levers that you're pulling simultaneously through great operations and great systems, but they all culminate in your drive-through line wasn't that long. 
And so I felt like I had enough time to stop and go get a sandwich, right? Whereas you were slow because someone didn't prep something or whatever. And then your drive through line's a little bit longer. And then the guy goes, ah, I'll just go to the next one. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, but you can start pushing your competitors around the field. They get better real estate, better advertising. It just goes up. That's awesome. Very well I've been said. Very, hyper. very well said. I've been very hyper on today's call, Patrick. I have drinking a lot of <laughs> coffee today. And uh, I feel like I've monopolized all your time. And I apologize if I have. Um, no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, this has been fun. Okay, we're coming to the war story part of things. You got a good war story for me? It can be from any brand, doesn't matter. It's grossest. Sure. I need a cringeworthy, laughable story. Uh, well, you know, I don't know if I, I I I don't know if this fits your it'll fit if it will fit your criteria or not. But I'll I'll, I'll, I'll one does come to mind. So I I mentioned the, uh, you know, I I went from uh, McDonald's into Burger King, and um, you know, McDonald's uh, from a QSR perspective, I, I think especially in the '90s, they they were at the, the the top of their game. They were at the peak of sure. of performance, if you will, and. You know, I went over to Burger King and I'm, you know, I, I'm looking or believing everything through the lens of, you know, everybody has the same systems and processes that, that a McDonald's has. And so like the transition won't be that hard. And, and of course it was my first opportunity to become a multi-unit manager. And of course I thought I knew how to do that. Right. Cause what <laughs> GM doesn't believe that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, but then, then I was, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to give, uh, I won't give details because I don't want to anybody listen to this, yeah. be able to pinpoint where, where some of this stuff may have occurred. But sure. uh, I was, I was placed into a market that um, was, it was nothing like I thought it, it would be. And it was nothing I'd have ever experienced as a, a, a in my restaurant uh sheltered restaurant life to that point. And, um, you know, of course I, I, I dealt with short staff, bad upbringing restaurants. You, you deal with all that, but th this was a different level. This was, this was restaurants that were, um, you know, uh, very, very dirty, um, pest problems, uh, staffing problems, people not even wearing uniform problems. And, and and I remember, you know, coming in on day one and super excited, you know, I'm going to be the, the <laughs> DM that changes the world. And I go to the, visit the first restaurant and, and I'm thinking I'm coming in and I'm uh, going to just put on this great, you know, hey, I'm the new uh, uh, leader and, you know, what, how can I help you? And I just wa remember walking into the restaurant and just looking <laughs> around going, oh, everything shit. I thought I knew. <laughs> didn't apply it was it was something i'd never seen or experienced in my life and i i i spent as little time there as i could because i just didn't even know what to say and then i'm like you know what i just got to go to the next one i just got to go to the next one and i'll tell you i i visited six restaurants because my market was seven restaurants i read i, I visited six restaurants and I remember driving home going, Crying. what did I get myself into? And why did I think it was a good idea to want to become a, a, a multi-unit manager? Um, but, uh, you know, uh, uh, thank God um, I 
had some, you know, great mentors around me that, uh, uh, kind of coached me up and, and, you know, I made a, we, we made a, a huge impact and, you know, all the things that you would expect to come from it came from it, sales growth, um, uh, developing general managers to be, uh, to becoming trainers, to becoming, uh, district managers themselves. And, you know, there's a lot of rewards, but I just still remember that first day driving home and, and, and just saying, I don't know how I come back tomorrow. Like, I don't know how or why I would want to come back tomorrow. Maybe I should call, maybe I should call these McDonald's folks back up and see if the, that there's a spot for me still. Uh, so I don't know if that qualifies as a, as a no, horror story or anything like that, but uh, that's what comes to mind. Uh, well, and it's so funny too, because you touched on something, right? Number one, every GM thinks they can be a multi-store manager because they go, well, all the GMs are just like me, right? And I know how to manage me. <laughs> so they'll all be like me. They all care like I do. Right. And so then you just go and then you realize, no, no, uh, that is not the case. Um, and also <laughs> So that that part's funny, right? Because really, like if you think about like general restaurants, it's always the best cook or the best waiter becomes the worst manager for a while <laughs> because they only know how to do a singular thing. So like the restaurant's on fire and the manager runs back and starts cooking burger, burgers because it's all they know how to do. So they revert to their training. And then uh, and then the same thing with the going to that area manager role, right? It's well, yeah, I know how to manage me and my team. And then you don't realize that that everybody else is not like you. And then you have to learn. And and I truly believe that multi-unit managers, uh, and we really are trying to focus more on helping those guys a lot with our platform as well. They have the hardest job because you have to ultimately exert presence and and coerce and motivate and train people to do the right thing. And you can't do it while you're, and you're never on site. So how do you exert that control when you're in another restaurant across town it, it's a very hard job um bar none so yeah you're exactly right and one of the things that i uh i, I i've said for years to to multi-unit managers is the key to being successful is uh it's what you said but said just a little bit differently that you have to be able to make an impact from a distance like how do you impact the business from a distance because once you figure that out then you then the the the, the role of that multi-unit manager becomes exponentially easier um and some multi-unit managers never figure that out and those are the guys yeah. that work 70 hours a week and never feel like they're 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 accomplishing anything and then you've got the really good multi-unit managers that really know how to make an impact from from a distance. Those guys are working forty-five hours a week, and 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 like, and this job's simple, <laughs> right? Yeah. And uh, it, it, so, so there really is that that large chasm between those who can make that impact from a di- distance and those that just haven't figured it out yet, or some that never really do. Well, and and I would argue too. Uh, that it's systems. If you look at the success of the multi-unit manager, the guys that struggle are the guys that were great GMs because they are true leaders and they, they were great GMs because of personality. 
they they got everybody they patted them on the back and they were really just fun to be around and they could keep people motivated but and so they didn't rely on systems they relied on their force of their personality right and then you got the guy who can actually like leave tasks and follow up and look at the numbers that's the guy who can make the transition to multi-unit operator uh, be a successful multi-unit operator because because the only way to enforce your will or to you know as you said impact at a distance is through systems and consistency and it takes personality right out of the game and so that personality driven manager cannot make the transition unless they can pick up and be a system manager that would be my argument on that one i couldn't agree more you know if you don't have a a, a system and a process for just about everything that needs to be replicated then yeah. uh, eventually it's going to fall apart, right? Eventually the, the wheels are going to come off. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's one of the things that we argue about when we're talking about our platform, just in general, it's just that, hey, you know, like so much of restaurant management is personality driven. And, and I do want that high impact personality guy who can lead people because that's so important at the store level. Um, but not everybody's that guy. And we still need to cover, you know, whatever 40 shifts a week right so we if we can rely on the system part of things to to kind of give the the guy who isn't mr party and can't get doesn't high five and everyone but give them the same tool to be successful and also on the second part of that ran the personality guy back in because you said something that it triggered something when you were talking about it you walked into that district and you're like oh my god but like the thing is is that what you, the thing is like with restaurant operators, right? And, and this is something that I think seasoned operators need to hear a lot too, is you got an, ex, you've been in the business, what, 25, 30, 40 years now, however old you are, you got that experience of walking into that district and it being hell on wheels. And it took you six months or a year to turn it around, you know, and you, and you, you literally questioned every decision you ever made to that point when you walked out of those restaurants, you know, but yep. that, that was experience. That's, that's grizzled you. That's made you a better manager of people. But, but let's be honest, you, that doesn't give you omniscient powers to be able to look at a cooler and go, that's the right temperature or, you know, you like restaurant experience what what ends up happening to restaurant managers as they've been doing this for longer and longer periods of time is that they get better at handling these one-off insane things because they've they've seen them before but what they tend to believe is that because i've seen this before i just know how to run restaurants but they they start to lose a little bit of the daily process things you know what i mean like just because you handled that experience or you had a grill catch on fire five times in the last 20 years, doesn't mean that you know that that food is safe right now or that you, if you, you know, you can't sense that the bathroom's clean. You need to be able to look at the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, so I feel like a lot of times as these guys get older, they, they don't want to do the daily little tasks that you need to do to be great. Would you agree with that? I do. I, I think that's a great point and it's very well said. You do need, those uh those systematic reminders to just tell you hey it's time to go check out uh, your parking lot right it, it, yeah. it's been 30 minutes let's go walk around let's make sure that you know that light didn't burn out from you know in the last 30 minutes right and 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 a lot of the the details that get missed in a restaurant are exactly 
for the reason you just mentioned. You don't, if you've been around a long time, you don't go somewhere. If there aren't, if there aren't processes and systems in place, you don't go somewhere unless it's on fire. So a light being out isn't necessarily on fire, but it is a problem. And guests do notice it, right? And, uh, you know, a dirty toilet isn't necessarily on fire, but the guest notices it. And, uh, you know, and now you get into even more important things, like you said, food safety and, and uh, uh, proper cookouts and, and, and hold times and all of those things. Those are easy to uh, disregard if you don't have a system or a process in place that forces you to look at it regularly. Yep. And it goes back to, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers, right? Yes, and, it is. Yes, and, it is. And it's those, and if you pull all 30,000 levers really quickly every day, three times a day, you win. But like you said, yeah, a light's not burning down the building. But if I can't read the special on the sign, I might drive by. That's 10 bucks, right? I go into the bathroom, it's always gross. That's 10 bucks that I'm not going to come back to. You know what I mean? Like, and that's it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's so crazy. And it's so, yeah, it, it's so vexing to me. But like, because I'm just like, why? But, you know, people get lazy. And also running restaurants is hard. And and also when you have labor problems, that's that's hard. I, when you are constantly short-staffed, it sucks your will to do great right out the door. You know what I mean? Because you're just so busy running the restaurant versus managing the restaurant. And so, but that does affect everything. I, I, I fully remember that as well. Well, pa Patrick, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, my friend. Uh, I wish you guys the best of luck growing Penguin Point. Um, is there anything you want to plug right now? Um, well, yeah, I mean, if you're in uh, Northern Indiana and uh, you want to get that great tasting tenderloin that uh, we've been talking about or anything else, Order online, penguinpoint.com. can have it delivered to you. You can come pick it up curbside. Uh, you can come inside the restaurant and pick it up. But, uh, you know, yeah, penguinpoint.com. Awesome. Well, it was a real pleasure to hang out with you today, Patrick. And thank you for being on the show. And uh, we'll talk soon, man. Take care. Absolutely.